98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Bigly Blast. The NBA playoffs are notorious for exposing paper tigers, for unmasking questionable MVP selections. Nikola Jokic isn't one of those, but man, is he under some pressure tonight. And that is because, at the very least, newly crowned MVPs better win their individual matchup in a Western Conference semifinal. A newly crowned MVP has to be one of the best players on the court. And instead, Jokic is dealing with a young opponent who has come alive. And as DeAndre Ayton begins to touch the ceiling of his potential, there's a chance that he might be too much and too quick for Jokic to handle, certainly too much to dominate. Now, to be clear, there is no real outrage over Jokic's selection as MVP over Joel Embiid, but this stuff leaves a mark, and this stuff can occasionally change a player's rep on the court and off. Once, Carl Malone was named MVP before a finals game against Michael Jordan. And well, as Michael would tell you, he took that personally. And when Malone missed a couple of huge free throws at the end of game one, the mockery was deafening. So if Ayton continues to neutralize or even outplay Jokic tonight in game two, it will do more than make some basketball fans roll their eyes. It might crush the very soul of the Denver Nuggets. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW Test Drive, the ultimate driving machine at the newly renovated Chapman BMW in Chandler at Chapman BMW on Camelback. Shop online at ChapmanBMW.com. Man, that, that's loud. Who said that? Oh, that's, oh, that's lit. Um, I love playing against Jokic, man. That's, that's the MVP of our league. Um, you know, just he, he has so much, man. He has, he has a lot to cover. The dude can do anything, so it's just, you know, it's just that's just the modern center right there. You know, he's just a dude who you have to, you know, watch out for drives. He can shoot. He can do everything. He can play make for his teammates. So, you know, just coming every day in, in and out, just learning what he loves to do and, you know, just competing, man. You know, one day he could be that dude on film, and, you know, one day he won't be that dude on film when you're watching everything he does. So, you know, you just got to keep competing and, you know, just staying locked in. That's lit. And that was DeAndre uh, Ayton after game one. Uh, uh-huh. You know, the mutual admiration between Jokic and Ayton continue, continue started in the regular season. But that was Ayton responding to what Nikola Jokic had said about him after game one. Uh, here's what uh, the MVP had to say about DA. I mean, to be honest, I really like, I really appreciate, of course. And uh, I think he's a great, great, first of all, person. He always talked to me on the floor, so... I really appreciate that. He's a good guy. He's uh, he's he's the best in the league in the field, uh, field goal uh, percentage. So he's he's not he's not missing a lot of shots. Um, he knows what he needs to do. He's doing that on a really high level. He's a really like a two-way center. You know, he's playing on the both ways on the on the floor on the both ends of the floor, and. Uh, he, you can see that he's talking to his teammates. He want to be, he want to be even better. So for someone who is young and he have that kind of mentality, I think you cannot ask for a better, better, better mentality for a young guy, in the, for a young guy in the league. You know, so he's 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 gonna be even better, better every year. He's actually better, better every game that we play. I mean, so he's a. Uh, 
he's, he's doing a really good job. Yeah, we pointed out the six games prior to the start of this playoff series between Aiton and Jokic. And I would be, I would think you'd be hard pressed to find another center that compared as favorably as Aiton does to Jokic. Mm-hmm. Um, for as complimentary as Aiton is towards Nikola Jokic, he doesn't play like he's in awe of him. No, and it, it's interesting because Jokic, the toolbox he has at center is different from what Aiton sees from from anybody else. And you heard it in that soundbite. He's the modern center. Mm-hmm. But I think the lack of foot speed uh, for Jokic gives Aiton a, a sense of, of comfort almost because mm-hmm. he is by far the more athletic of the two. It, it's really a, an intriguing matchup. Uh, and it certainly played out that way in game one when you had exact matching of minutes for those two. And it was, you know, from, from an individual standpoint, the statistics looked pretty close. From a team standpoint, it was overwhelmingly in favor of Aiton. Yeah. Um, you bring up an interesting point. Things change now. This mm-hmm. is Nikola Jokic's first day as an MVP. Yes, he does. Yes, and it he's is. being celebrated as well he should be. But there's also a new level of pressure. Oh, it's it, and it's thick. It's not just a little bit of pressure. It's something that's unavoidable because mm-hmm. it's something people talk about. There was a feeling um, inside the NBA this year that there is was no way Giannis was going to win a third consecutive MVP because he has not had postseason success. I can't prove it, can't quantify it, but I've heard it and I read it. Okay, and and, and knowing the NBA the way I do, that's kind of the mentality. There was a guy this year, I forget who it was, who was the one that called if Nikola Jokic is MVP, it's going to be the softest, worst MVP candidate. I believe that was Nick Wright from Fox Sports. Okay, so so this stuff's out there, and and Nikola Jokic being a foreign-born player, there's uh, there's that level of of pressure of having to prove yourself in a new league, and when you reach the mountaintop as an MVP. Yeah, this is uh, he's going to be under a ton of pressure, and he might just be up against a guy that is coming into his own, that is too young and too fast and too quick, and now can match Nikola Jokic minute for minute. One of the things that uh, Kellen Olsen said that's, that's very accurate is that uh, for a big man, Nikola Jokic's workload has been crazy. Mm-hmm. In terms of how good he's been, in terms of availability, the amount of minutes he played in that double overtime game against Portland, for instance, there was a belief that at at one point in the season that would have been a big advantage in Nikola Jokic versus the Suns. That Da might last twenty six to thirty two, and whatever Nikola Jokic plays additional to that, he's feasting on Dario Saric or Frank Kaminsky. And there's, I, I, I remember one game. When Frank Kaminsky trying to guard Nikola Jokic was almost like a mercy killing. It was like, oh yeah, this is let's let's just fast forward to the end of this. Mm-hmm. Um, now DeAndre Ayton has proven he can play forty minutes a game. He's done it. He's done it routinely in this postseason. So if you're if you're the Nuggets now and you're Nikola Jokic, this is this is as mono mono as you get in the playoffs, and it's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> What Kellen brought up, too, about he thought Jokic looked gassed. Certainly the shooting percentage would indicate that. The effectiveness, um, you know, just the little lack of production in the second half of that game would show that. And to your point on his workload, I mean, he played 34.6 minutes per game in all 72 games for, for the Nuggets. That obviously has increased. And there's not too many fours or fives that have played that many minutes this season. Uh, Julius Randle, bigger player, he led the league in minutes per game with 37.6. 
The only other like big that really was in that category was Demontis Sabonis from Indiana, 36 minutes. So mm-hmm. that is something to monitor. Uh, DeAndre Ayton did not play as heavy minutes, not even close to as heavy minutes in the regular season, and he certainly looked like the fresher player late in that game. Um, you know th- that is the I think the matchup that everybody is looking at, and I think even more so now because of the inclusion of that MVP uh, label to to Nikola Jokic, uh, Kendrick Perkins from ESPN. Uh, he gauged the importance of those two players for Game Two and says. Jokic isn't even the most important factor in Game 2 uh, going into this. It's DeAndre Ayton. And look, we all know that Jokic is the MVP and he's a superstar and I get all that. He's a special talent. But DeAndre Ayton has came to light and he's found his groove. And he's not afraid of big Jokic, okay? He's dominating him on both ends of the floor, especially in Game 1. He dominated him. He dominated him where he held Jokic to 10 to 23 from the field, only 22 points. And on the other end, he went at him. He had 20 and 10 himself. And when I'm looking at DeAndre Ayton, he's playing with a certain type of tenacity. He's playing with a certain type of edge. And you know where that edge come from? It comes from CP3. It comes from Jay Crowder putting that key in the in his back. Yeah, Kendrick Perkins hit on something, and uh, Monty Williams had actually talked about that in his press availability yesterday, how much, again, DeAndre Ayton continues to uh, learn on the job from from veterans and other teammates. When you have guys like Chris and, and Jay and Etwan and Langston, guys who've been in different programs that are really good guys, they bring certain things that help younger players, help any player improve their game. And I, the young guys we've had here or have here, they're hungry. They, and, and we don't have all of the answers as coaches. And so we invite the information, the experience, and whatever it is to help our program grow and help our, our players grow. So I, I've seen DA in the weight room adding some things to his regiment um, that hopefully help him you know, on the floor and, and help him recover and, and that kind of thing. So we're open to those different types of ideas from, from guys like Chris and Jay and the vets we have that can help the program. In terms of the MVP voting that was released yesterday, uh, and Jokic wins it, won it going away, 91 of 101 first-place votes, and we'll get to the, the, the 101st yeah. vote in a oh, second. Yeah. Um, no problem with that. Embiid finishing second, only got one first-place vote. Stephen Curry got five first-place votes, but still finished a distant third. Giannis was fourth. Chris Paul got the third-most first-place votes with two. Uh, only two second-place votes, only eight third-place votes. In fact, Vic, there were 49 voters that did not have Chris Paul in their top five, on their ballot. Yeah, they 40, should be. 49 of 100 voters did not include Chris Paul. Let that okay. sink in. So I, I've got a lot of thoughts on this. All right. Again, uh, we got to watch Chris Paul every single day and got to appreciate looking past the statistics because the statistics weren't gaudy, and that's what a lot of people look at on a cursory level for MVP. His influence on this team was undeniable. The jump they made was undeniable. The fact that I think, and you brought this up yesterday, and I think you're right on the money, Monty Williams, Coach of the Year candidacy, was affected by the presence of Chris Paul. Mm -hmm. I think that probably turned off some voters on Monty's front because Mm -hmm. Chris Paul is... Uh, and th- but that should bolster Chris Paul's MVP Absolutely. candidacy. Absolutely. So the thing is, there's this narrative out there that these voters that have this honor to vote for MVP, 
They take this stuff seriously. And then you see those results, and your first thought is, well, they don't really watch Phoenix Suns basketball. And I think it goes deeper than that. All right. Not only are they not watching Phoenix Suns basketball, they're not paying attention to the written word about what's being written about the Phoenix Suns by their colleagues in the media, because there were plenty of pieces that were... uh, I'm not saying they should have been campaign material, Mm -hmm. but they were very convincing on what Chris Paul did for the Suns. So you're not watching, you're not reading. If you're one of the 49 voters that didn't have Chris Paul, as a matter of respect in your top five, what the hell are you doing? I've, I've long believed, even though I have occasionally voted for the Heisman Trophy, I have long believed that the media should not be in the business of voting for postseason awards. Number one, the media's job is not to create news. It's to cover the news. Um, and so that's that's so philosophically, I've been opposed to it pretty much all of my life. Number two, it's too big of a job for a media member to do properly. You can't expect a Knicks beat writer to pay attention to every team in the Western Conference. But that's what that vote demands. It's got to be institutionalized. It's got to be uh, a, a committee in the league that studies basketball, all teams, all places. I think if you're in New York, it's way too easy to go. I, I've never seen him play, and it's Chris. I, you know, they got Devin Booker, and who cares? It's the Suns. And there's a lot of that that comes into it. There's There was... There is no doubt that East Coast bias played a role in Monty Williams not winning Coach of the Year. There's no doubt about it. it, it the, the, so systemically, the whole thing is just stupid. It really, really is. And, and I'm disappointed because every national media member that we put on this radio after Chris Paul signed with the Phoenix Suns gushed over what an impact he was going to have in Phoenix. And then when he had that impact... They didn't vote him in the MVP voting. Had a greater impact than what was projected. Right. Yeah. Oh, they'll be they're definitely a top I mean, far, five team in the West. I now. can't wait to see which which two people voted him first. Because you're right. Well, yeah. Every, everyone we've had on that before the season and mm-hmm. since Oh yeah. Raved about what an impact. Oh, you're had. not gonna believe this guy. He never stops talking, his leadership never quits. He invests in everybody on the team. Okay. And then, and then in this situation where, where this young raw center who had been so maddeningly erratic and, and underwhelming at times suddenly is turning and tilting the entire postseason and a lot of it can be directly linked to the, to the mentorship given to him. You heard Monty Williams and other people talk about how, yeah, we see DA in the weight room a lot more now than we used to. And on top of that, we see him doing exactly these weird exercises that Chris Paul does. Okay, I wonder how that happens. Mm-hmm. Also, those forty-nine people who did not have Chris Paul as a top-five candidate should have to respond to that. Oh, they will uh, to some degree when, when these are made public. And there were a lot of good candidates this year. I mean, there were absolutely there was a long list, but it was also a list that was compromised by injuries to some of the top candidates. Here are the players. That got uh, fifth place votes. Chris Chris Paul had the most fifth place votes, by the way, twenty six. Uh, Damian Lillard at eighteen. Luka Doncic had fourteen. Some guys at the at the bottom of the ball- balloting: James Harden, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard. All guys who had impact certainly, but were um, affected by injury. They they got one vote. Uh, again, uh, what are you watching? If if you didn't see Chris Paul 
and what he did for the Suns is one of the most. Fu- and you, you mentioned your experience as a Heisman voter. Mm-hmm. Um, with all due respect, yeah. I think that's easier. Yeah, because definitely. That's picking the oh the most outstanding college football player, mm-hmm. and whatever those parameters are, generally kind of a formula, yeah. pretty self evident. Yeah, right. When you when you throw in the word valuable. That's where it gets a little bit hairy for some people yep. because everybody's got their own definition. To me, the definition of value to a team was put forth by Chris Paul this year. Without a doubt. I, it, to me, and that's why I carry disappointment for a lot of these national media members because th- everything about the word valuable, they're very well indoctrinated with what Chris Paul brings to that word. And brings to that team, and he did not get rewarded this year in what might have been his finest performance as a team leader. It's also on that team, on the team leader thing. Like if you look at just game one in this playoff series, his overall stats were good, Mm -hmm. but they're not like he had like forty points or twenty assists or something. But it was when those stats happen. He had all, all you know a ton of assists in the first half when he was trying to get everybody else going, and then he took over scoring in the fourth quarter when Denver started to get close and needed to take over. It's like you have to actually watch him play to truly see the impact he has on games beyond the stats. I got news for you. This is not an issue nationally now. It's a it's a it's an irritant in Phoenix. If the Phoenix Suns get to the NBA Finals, this will be an issue. If you look at the top nine, I looked at this yesterday. The top nine people in the MVP voting. It's possible that after this round, it's only Chris Paul and Joel Embiid left. And Embiid, who knows if they they might lose to Atlanta. Well, hey, listen, Joel Embiid, much respect him. He's playing with a slightly torn meniscus, and he's gone thirty nine and forty in the first two games of that mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. That's value. That's valuable. And oh, I think yeah, we we might be having a different discussion today if Joel Embiid didn't go out with an injury. I think at the time of his injury, he was probably the front runner. Yeah, yeah. And and so this is all the stuff that's this is all going to be on Jokic's shoulders tonight, and and he can say he doesn't feel it, he can say he doesn't pay attention. That's not true. This is the stuff. This is the currency of the realm in the NBA. This is what it's all about. Basketball has always been about okay. This is a community of stars and alpha males. Who's the biggest? Who's the best? It, it, and this MVP trophy is it's like a heavy. It's like a belt in boxing, and it's heavy around the person who wears it. And this is all on his shoulders tonight, coming right at a time when he's going up against a young kid who is feeling it. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And is not in awe. The other thing we have to talk about is Derek Rose, the reaction to this was priceless. Mark Stein was the first person to put that out there from, from New York Times yesterday. He had the results, and he pointed it out in a subsequent tweet um, that Derek Rose of the New York Knicks, who was traded there midseason from Detroit and did have an impact on the Knicks, there's no doubt about it, but was still a bench player who averaged under 15 points per game. He got a first-place vote. He explained the first-place vote was for, uh, for Derrick Rose was a cum- cum- cumulative, I, hate, I have trouble with that word, fan vote for the MVP award rather than a media member as confirmed by league spokesman Tim Frank. Now, that doesn't Explain how this happened. Did Knicks fans just stuff the ballot box for Derrick Rose, who's I, not even a starter on their team? I didn't even know this was a thing you could vote on. Apparently, it's been around for a while. Um, uh, this NBC Sports article says, in the first six years with public dis- disclosure, 
fans gave their first place vote to the MVP winner. Last year, the first place vote went to LeBron James, who received 15 first place votes and finished second overall. This, to me, is kind of the same as when Howard Stern back in the day had his listeners rig American Idol voting to have Sanjaya keep advancing, even though he was just god-awful. That's basically that. that's but, basically what the Knicks fans did. They if, gave Derrick Rose an MVP vote. Change the system. If that's what they did, though, why, why wouldn't they have given it to Julius Randle, who actually had a chance at I, winning? I don't know what happened. It, it, the whole thing is goofy. It's just dreadful. It and really I, is. And I feel bad to say that because Jokic is deserving of the MVP, he, and, yeah. and, and nothing changes that. But to have a couple of storylines out there that are like, you know, Planting a seed of doubt in the whole process. Derrick Rose, MVP. CP3 should not have finished lower than second or third. Yeah, d- definitely not third. I would definitely have voted not third. I would have voted for Jokic had I had a vote. Mm-hmm. I think I would have put Chris Paul two, and I probably would have put Joel Embiid three, maybe Luca three. Yeah, to me, once again, if if we get an NBA Finals of Brooklyn Phoenix and Chris Paul it, it gets this team through the playoffs, through that injury, it, it, there's going to be some explaining that's going to have to be done from 49 people who did not have him top five. Well, that's there, just stupid. There's a, yeah, a yearly reaction to when the finals wrap up, and there's a lot of people believe that the finals MVP kind of supersedes the regular season MVP because it it's a different it's a different thing altogether. Mm-hmm. Jokic loses this series and we'll just use it as an example. Chris Paul leads the Suns to a title. Wins finals MVP. That almost means more in the eyes of some people. Yeah, as, as yeah, well I mean, it should. Yeah, I I Now I'm not I, and I I don't want to see the MVP vote delayed until after the playoffs because that also negates what people do in, in tremendous regular season. So I, I understand the need for two different awards, but there's mm-hmm. some people that put way more stock into the finals MVP. Maybe the best way to do it is is to announce the NBA MVP like the minute the regular season ends. Because chances are pretty good the MVP doesn't lose in the first round. and, and Or not even make the first round like Steph Curry. Yeah, right. But you're right, though. Why do they? This only opens them up because we've seen it in the past with what, when you're with Dirk Nowitzki or something yeah. when his team already had got eliminated and they had to hand him the trophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a little bit awkward. I mentioned that Carl Malone situation. I'll never forget that. Um, yeah, and this is what Nikola Jokic is under tonight. He's certainly going to feel the pressure to affirm that award that was just given to him. There's no doubt about it. Especially down 0-1 oh. and coming off a, a yeah. substandard uh-huh. game one. Uh, listen all day today for your chance to win a pair of tickets to tonight's sold-out Suns Nuggets playoff game. It's the hottest tickets in town game day giveaway. Listen for that sounder. You want to be caller number 8 when you hear it. Coming up next, we'll get the current view from Denver. We'll be joined by DMAC, Darren McKee, 104.3, the fan in Denver. He'll join us next. It's Bickley and Murata, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Suns playoff coverage presented by Four Peaks Kilt Lifter. Suns win. The Suns win the opener. Team two of the Western Conference semifinals tonight in downtown Phoenix. That Phoenix crowd right there, they have a true real home court advantage. And I'm telling you right now, if other teams that play against them don't find a way to get their fans in their arenas and they ain't like that, 
You ain't beating Phoenix. The home of Phoenix Suns playoff basketball. 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Bickley and Murata talk Suns Nuggets now. That game two tonight, downtown Phoenix Suns up one nothing. Here to give us the Denver perspective from the Nuggets viewpoint heading into game two. Host a show called The Drive, along with uh, Tyler Columbus on 104.3 The Fan, our sister station in Denver. DMAC, Darren McKee joins us here on the Colter Automotive Group Sportsline. DMAC, how are you, man? I'm doing, um, um, it's falling apart, but doing good. <laughs> I'm be on with you guys. Yeah, uh, but, uh, let's start. You said you're falling apart more so because of uh, the Nuggets situation or the Avalanche situation. I know there, yeah, there, there's a lot of stress I, over the yeah. Avs right now. Yeah, yeah, that and that and that. <laughs> like, you know, this wasn't supposed to be happening. The 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 Adams were supposed to be cruising in the Stanley Cup Finals. The Nuggets were always going to, you know, man, since we lost Jamal Murray, we just didn't know what to expect, right? And so I can't say I'm surprised that there's struggles for the Nuggets right now, but it's, it's wild, man. Like, the Nuggets always have found a way. And they have a history of being pretty crappy in game one of the series for the past couple of years. I'm nervous about it for the Nuggets' um, sake, but, but just a heads up, hey man, just a heads up, if you look at their series throughout the past couple of years, they've kind of always struggled for whatever reason in game one, and they've, they've usually come back pretty strong. So we'll see tonight what's what. Well, it, it'll be all good in Denver the minute Aaron Rodgers rolls into town anyways, right, man? That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're nailing that one. That's right, my man. Hey, hey like, by the way, I'm hearing like Jordan Love was great in practice. I'm like, yeah, baby. Keep yeah. it going. Keep yeah. it going, Jordan. You know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I just heard I just heard in your update, I just heard in your update, um, Michael Porter Jr.'s got tightness in his back. I mean, how deep do you think the Nuggets are? I mean, that is that's bad news. That's really bad news for this Nuggets team. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned Game 1's, D-Mac, uh, and obviously you don't have to go back very far to find a flat performance in Game 1 for the Nuggets this postseason. They didn't play well in the in the first game against Portland. They win that series overall, and I know they were called out by Michael Malone after that game. My question to you is, d- does, does that Game 1 feel a lot different from what the Nuggets went through in Game 1 against the Suns? It does to me, yeah. It does to me. But then again, and I guess I'd throw this back on you guys. Did you guys really be honest? Just be be honest. Did you think Chris Paul was going to be that good in game one? No. We, we sure did. We, we know how good he is, right? But it's Devin Booker, right? Mm-hmm. Supposed to be. Not Chris Paul. And that, that's what we just couldn't account for. So let me, let me I'll, I'll just put it back to you guys. Did you seriously think Chris Paul was going to be that good? I did not. Uh, in fact, the way he started the game, I thought they were going to have to try to find a way with him being so limited and basically a fraction of what he gave them in the regular season. So what he did in the fourth quarter of that game was totally surprising to me. I don't know about you, Bick. No, I, I mean, again, I think when he when he grabbed his shoulder earlier on in that game, it was sort of like, oh, now here we go again, another one of these deals. And I think by the end of it, he was uh, he was looking as close to normal as I've seen him look in quite some time. So that's interesting. So let me ask you this: uh, Do you think what 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 adjustments from watching this team all year? What is coming at the Phoenix Suns tonight? Well, Jokic uh, is going to make Aiden look stupid tonight. It's going to happen tonight. He, he's going to humiliate DeAndre Aiden 
tonight, okay? But I don't know if that's going to be enough. But that, that generally has been the response from the Nuggets, that when things get a little dicey, Jokic just sort of takes over. And so that's going to happen tonight, but I'm not saying that's going to be enough. Because in general, the Nuggets also need another 20-plus points from Michael Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, Jokic will probably get 35, 36 points tonight. And it'll become, you know, come, a, come back to earth moment for Aiden. That's going to happen tonight. And then the Nuggets need something else. And usually that has been a kind of a weird combination of Austin Rivers or um, Monte Morris, something like that. A guy like you don't really expect. Um, they got Aaron Gordon, too. So that's all. The big change will be Jokic dominating Aiden. But again, I really seriously don't know if that's going to be enough, but that will happen tonight. D-Mac from 104.3 The Fan in Denver, our guest here on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Lights. You, you've got no concern. It, it, it looked a little bit like Jokic was gassed at the end of Game 1, and he's carried such oh. a heavy load. No worries there? Stop. <laughs> stop. Just stop. 91 votes for the MVP. Well-deserved. Nine jerks that didn't who who are the nine jerks that didn't vote for him? Uh, no, he, he dude, he's looked gassed like that since he was twelve. I mean, he just, that's that's how he always looks. Um, no, he's not gassed. He's not tired. Don't don't fall for the banana in the tailpipe on that one, fellas. He's he's fine. He's he's a well deserved, well respected, should be MVP, and he he will play like that likely tonight. Uh, but you know. Are we going to stop Devin Booker from scoring 40 points tonight? Because he's going to score 40 points, right, yeah. at some point. He's at just going to go off at yeah. some point. Yeah, at some point. Um, the, the, the thing that killed the Nuggets seriously with the Suns was the balance from, from, what, you have four guys that scored more than 20 points? I mean, we had no answer for that at the end of the day. And, and, and if, if the Suns keep it balanced and they get contributions from Chris Paul – and Michael Porter Jr. is hurt, Jokic likely would put up 35, and it's still going to be tough for the Nuggets. However, that being said, why we keep hope alive here in Denver is that we have seen this before. This Nuggets team with this core has been through this before, down in series, counted out, and has, has played terrific. So don't get all cocky there, okay? I, I can feel it right now with you guys. I can feel it. Just relax a little bit there, Phoenix fans, okay? It's not over. And anybody who thinks it's over, I'd say you're the favorite, but if you think it's over, you're uh maybe maybe the sun is getting to you. All right, well what now what what is what's the vibe going to be like in game three when the series returns to Denver? What is their capacity like and and how rabid has the Nuggets fan base been, especially after Jamal went down? Do you know our crazy story? I don't know if you know our crazy story. Well, this is, this is nuts. Friday night for the Nuggets will be full capacity. <laughs> if there's a game seven for the Avalanche and the Golden Knights on Saturday, 57% capacity. <laughs> Try to figure that one out, fellas. So that's, that's, um, that's we NHL. Have, and yeah. What's that? No, I was going to say, is that an NHL regulation policy? Oh, my God, dude. We have the governor of our state putting out tweets saying, hey, this isn't my fault. We have Cronky Sports, who owns the Avalanche and the Nuggets, saying, hey, this isn't our fault. I'm like, well, whose freaking fault is it? <laughs> but, but, but for basketball, for basketball, it'll be 100%. Uh, yeah, the Nuggets fan base is, is, you know, they're excited. 
They're, it'll be sold out. It'll be loud. It'll it'll be all that, and you know, we'll see how the Suns, you know, respond to that. I, I suspect they'll be fine. You know, I, I suspect that won't be a big deal. And by the way, your sold out crowd is not that big of a deal. You want what? You got the first sold out crowd ever in NBA history in the playoffs. Congratulations. Just like welcome back to the playoffs, Phoenix. Uh, pretend like you've been here before. Gee, give yeah. me a break. D-Mac, with, with, with all due respect, you yeah. sound like somebody who was not in attendance for, for Game One. It was it was pretty it was pretty remarkable. Oh, oh, you're right. I've never been to a sold out playoff crowd. I, I, I have no idea well, what that's like. All right, dude. Ooh, then, then, then you, then you. Crowd. Okay, you you want to play like this, homie? You tell you tell us what your head coach was was describing the fear level in his team. What were they afraid of? They, they, they've had weird moments. I'm not going to lie. They've had weird, soft sort of moments. It's um, six foul shots. That's no good. you got to take and, and you'll see it. You'll see it tonight. It, Jokic will take it to Aiden, and you'll, you'll see a much more aggressive sort of team. But listen, I'm being a realist here, okay? I'm not trying to, you know, fun, sunshine and puppy dogs and lollipops here. If my, Michael Porter Jr. is our second most dangerous weapon, mm-hmm. if he really is uh, hurt and, and, not good, and not in good shape, the Nuggets are in the Nuggets are in big trouble, big trouble, seriously. And there's a reason why you guys won four whole more games on the Nuggets in the regular season. And without Jamal Murray, now it just sounds pathetic. Now I'm making excuses, but you know, <laughs> yeah. with Jamal Murray, the loss of Jamal Murray really is bad. All right, okay, you got me. I sound pathetic now. Right, okay, okay. Perfect yeah. place to end the interview, D-Mac. <laughs> hey, right. man, we, we appreciate right. it. Thank you, brother. Right. Enjoy the series. We'll talk soon. All right, work's up. See you later. <laughs> See ya. Darren McKee, uh, D-Mac, 104.3 The Fan in Denver. Obviously getting the energy level up for his own show today from 3 to 7 in the Mile High City. He joined us on the Coulter Automotive Group Sports Line. Coulter Nissan, west of the hassle. Visit Coulter Nissan. Dot com. Coming up next, believe it or not, there are things going on in the sports world that don't involve the Phoenix Suns and the NBA playoffs. It's full-on panic mode in Green Bay, Wisconsin. We'll get into that and more NFL hash marks next. Bickley and Murata, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Shazam! 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. The hottest ticket in town game day giveaway. Phones have been ringing for minutes. I don't know if people are excited to win Suns Nuggets tickets or they're just upset about uh, DMAC on our last segment. <laughs> uh, yeah, listen, my phone, I'm getting a lot of stuff from people uh, like this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but have the Nuggets ever won anything? <laughs> this guy sounds very face punchable. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. you hear the sounder. We're taking caller number eight right now, 602-260-9870. You will win a pair of tickets to tonight's sold-out Phoenix Suns playoff game against the Nuggets. Listen all day today for your chance to score the hottest tickets in town. Phoenix Suns playoff tickets. Again, caller number eight, 602-260-9870. Bickley and Morata. Hash marks. Yeah, with minicamp starting with the uh, Green Bay Packers, obviously the the Packers at one point, Bick, were very hopeful that Aaron Rodgers would show up. He hasn't shown up. Yeah. Uh, now the ball is in the Packers' court on whether or not uh, they're going to impose fines, if they're going to waive the fines. Matt LaFleur, their head coach, uh, he was quoted as saying, quote, I, I think anytime you're talking about any player on your football team, you'd love everybody to be here. I'm not going to get into my conversations with Aaron and the communication. 
I think, you know, I'm naturally optimistic. But, you know, again, we'll take it day by day and do whatever we can to help remedy the situation. To me, that indicates uh, the the push, the leaning for the Packers organization is to waive any penalty for right. Aaron Rodgers' non-attendance. Here's the, here's the other thing that I thought was really funny. Yesterday, during the first day of, of practice, Rob Domofsky, who covers the Packers, tweeted out a uh, a tweet that was highly damning of Jordan Love. Basically said in his first two-minute drill, Jordan Love could not get the team past midfield and sailed the ball over the head of a wide-open receiver. And that tweet was like, wow. Can you imagine being a Packers fan reading that with everything that's going on? Today, Rob Domofsky tweeted out uh, uh, with something that was completely the opposite, mm-hmm. talking about how sizzling hot yeah. this young kid was. Two hours ago. What a stretch for Jordan Love. Wheel route to A.J. Dillon, right sideline for 30 yards. Free play deep to Lazard for 45 Deep corner out to Jawan Winfrey for 30. Deep sideline to Aaron Jones for 30. He was so hot that tight end coach Justin Outen started fanning him. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. There was a full-on panic discussion on Get Up on ESPN this morning, breaking down the fact that uh, e- even the guys that had been in the NFL before had never seen reps distributed the way they were being distributed. Jordan Love was taking every single rep. The backups for Green Bay were getting nothing, and that's guys like Kurt Benkert and and, and Blake Bortles, who's there now. Um, and and some people pointed, oh, this is just desperation. They realized the, the gravity of the Aaron Rodgers situation. He's not going to be there, so this is a crash course for Jordan Love to get ready. Mm-hmm. The whole thing has just reached the point of ridiculousness. Well, it is, and, and I think that... Um... I, I think there was just this pipe dream that, oh, Aaron Rodgers, he's a drama queen. He's going to show up. I, I think he I think he's really not going to. I really think he's going to force the Packers' hand here. And it's, yeah, I, I think he's going to end up in Denver before the end of the summer. Um, Yeah, it'll be interesting to gauge on the calendar when Green Bay's stance changes. Mm-hmm. We'll do anything we can. We're desperate. Obviously, we want him back. We know we've infuriated him. But what? What? Uh, how long do they let this go before they do make a move? Because Aaron Rodgers, if the, if the Packers hold on to the fine issue, uh, I read a story today that indicated you know it would be less damning financially for Aaron Rodgers just to retire and then keep his future options open, as opposed to just not showing up or not doing anything. Well. How how can you do that if you reti- if you retire? How, aren't you still property of the team that has you under contract? If you chose, no, I okay. Look, I, I, um, I, there's ways out of everything. We know that. Yeah, okay, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, this is this is interesting because that's that's serious business. I, I think in in listening to Doug and Wolf this morning, there's a feeling now that the Cardinals are looking at a Chandler Jones problem after all. Mm-hmm. That this is actually happening. And even though it doesn't sound at all like the Aaron Rodgers story, these are these are these are issues. Yeah, different too because Aaron Rodgers is coming off an MVP season mm-hmm. with a lot of time left on his contract. Chandler Jones is coming off an injury riddled season with one year left on his contract. Mm-hmm. I think most people, uh, and and obviously there's a, a wide range of of a heat on these two stories. Chandler Jones showed up to participate in, in media-type 
Uh, yeah, I'm talking about photo shoots, video shoots, things like that earlier this week, and they didn't show up for workouts. But again, Cliff Kingsbury said we weren't expecting him anyway. Yeah, like we said last week, um, nothing new to report there. We've been in communication with both guys. Um, we know the situations, and so I'll, I'll leave that dialogue, um, you know, between us and uh, nothing else to report on that. Yeah, DJ Humphreys, the left tackle for the Cardinals, was asked about not having Jones in the mini camp. Uh, he said that business is business. You know, you let that, that sort of stuff out. You know, guys got to handle that. You focus on what you control and let guys handle their business. He'll be back when, you know, I mean, everything sorted out. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, par for the course when it comes to the attitudes of, of NFL players. When it comes to teammates and contract disputes, they'll almost always say the same thing. Of course, we would love to have him here, but. It's a business. You have to take, if you feel like you're being wronged in any way or you have a desire for a new contract, you have to handle it a certain way. So mm-hmm. no, nothing surprising there yeah. from D.J. Humphreys. No, no, not uh, no. again, it, uh, I, I would be stunned if anybody on the Cardinals attached any severity to this. But the fact of the matter is he's not there and they have not come to an agreement yet. So it's not nothing. And and, and for anyone to try to tell you it's nothing, that's propaganda. It is something. It's a man who will who does not want to play his last year, the last year of his contract without an extension. Yeah, and he's a man who's coming off a, a a season when he wasn't particularly great before he got injured, but behind that he was incredibly valuable and worth every penny he was being paid. And if you go out and you pay J.J. Watt, well, Chandler Jones is going to want that number and then some. And if you're the Cardinals. You don't want to make all these moves and then lose Chandler Jones. Oh, absolutely not. So, yeah. so, so I agree that there's this feeling that it has to get done. It will get done. And, and, that, and that feeling is buffered by the fact that he showed up to take pictures with his teammates, yeah. which you don't do unless there's an assumption we're at least going to work towards this. But again, it's it's money. It's contract demands. Yeah, one last note on the Aaron Rodgers thing. Uh, James Jones, the former receiver, not the Suns general manager. He uh, former teammate of Jones, still friends with him. He was on uh, Colin Cowherd's radio show, and he said, quote, I've talked to Aaron. Uh, I truly believe that he will be here for training camp. This will get fixed, and I think that our relationship will get much better between him and the GM. Well, it can't get worse. Uh, I've talked to Aaron. I talk to him all the time. He's told me that it's not about the GM, it's not about new money, it's not about the GM. So when I hear everybody say it's about getting the GM fired and these things, it's not about that. All right, if it's not about new money, if it's not about the GM, if it's not about the draft selection of Jordan Love, what the hell is it about? Now, Jones did say it, it's a number. his number one beef is a private conversation on the phone that I can't share with you. Yeah. It's a mystery to everybody if it's not one of those three things. Well, right. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, man, who knew he had this much drama in him? Well, and but again, I think Aaron Rodgers is, is all his uh, ex girlfriends and his family. <laughs> right? Yeah. Who knew? Right? Who knew? Touche, Jerry. Well, listen, the, the, this is this is sort of the thing about Aaron Rodgers here that I think makes this story so um, compelling to me. Aaron Rodgers could very easily and simply come out and do what you've been imploring him to do: state your state your wishes. Yeah. What What do you want? But he won't do it because he's determined to play this game, this psychological game with the Packers. Yeah. Uh, If you are currently holding the phone in your hand and listening to it ring after dialing our radio station's phone number, you can hang up now. We uh, we had caller number eight a while ago. Stephen Thompson is his name. He was caller number eight, so Stephen's going to the game tonight. we got another chance for you to win tickets. 
coming up in the uh, 1 o'clock hour. Burns and Gambo will have some opportunities today as we continue the hottest ticket in town giveaway. Uh, we began the show by brainstorming nicknames for the Suns' home arena. We'll revisit that next in Social Studies. It's Bickley and Murata, live from the Ak Chin Community Studios, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.